0: The thing that I, the reason I'm really excited about the podcast is because everyone's got a story. It's so fascinating. It's like going on an archaeological dig. I love it.
1: <laughs> it's a bit when you talk to patients as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. To me,
1: that is exactly what it is like. Yeah, um, I, I say to the students, "I get a patient is like this treasure chest." And they've got all these little compartments and you are going to need to unlock it, you know, and some of these, these little, little drawers or ledges will be closed firmer than others. And, um, and, and what you're going to find is up to how well you can open up all these, these little secret compartments.
0: Welcome to Episode 7 of Docography, Little Stories of the Big Moments. This podcast is sponsored by the Rural Clinical School of WA, Rural Training Hubs. Let us know if you'd like to know more about rural medicine or training opportunities. This was the most delightful interview with Crystals Mick Croner, a rural GP and medical educator in Albany who is crafting a unique and varied story. In the course of our interview, we discuss a wide variety of issues, including the Australian tendency to stereotype parenting roles along gender lines, Exploring Australia in a bus, hobby farming, and climate change. I hope you enjoy. Thank you very much, Crystal, for joining us on Docography. Can you tell us a little bit about where you're at right now and 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 what you're doing? Okay, well, I'm in Albany, and um, southern part of WA and
1: um, I'm in the RCS office for the Rural Clinical School with no students, Um, they're all learning from home. Um, I'm a GP by trade. Um, That's what I tell my, my patients, but I I feel the, the term generalist covers it a lot better. So I'd like to consider myself a, a rural generalist. Very, very passionate about um, rural medicine, especially in Australia. I'm from the Netherlands originally, which you can maybe pick up from my yeah. accent. <laughs> um, and I moved to Australia in 2006 and I've been in small country towns before I moved to Albany, which is more of a regional, a regional town. Uh, but it has a country feel to it, so I, I feel right at home. I, I don't think I could ever be a metropolitan GP, to be honest. Um, but that's where I am at the moment, um, after having travelled around a fair bit to find myself in beautiful, beautiful Albany.
0: Wonderful. So uh, you've probably listened to our earlier episodes. Um, I always think of people's stories as a book that's being written, Their life, their life kind of story. Uh, when you look back over the chapters that you've written so far what do they entail
1: yeah i like that whole analogy of the of the book um you know what would be on the cover what would be on the chapters um yeah i think there's there's chapters about how you grow up i'm i'm the middle of three girls um and i think it's that's formed me a lot i i always go for whatever is in the middle is mm-hmm. the best option always go medium um i um i i I studied medicine also back in the Netherlands as well. Um, And then I I met my husband at the very end of my medical training and we traveled through Africa a few times together. So there'd be definitely be a few chapters around um, traveling through Africa together and doing some volunteer work, some medical work um, in the highlight before antiviral medications about um, HIV, very remote places. Um, And I think it was actually really good preparation for coming to Australia I think we were in a small country town and Australian people thought, you know, that must have been the remotest we'd ever been. And we thought it was so well-stocked and well-resourced and well-equipped. We thought it was the bee's knees. So I think there would be a chapter about the, you know, coming to Australia. I was by that time married, had two children in the Netherlands. And um, and uh, getting to know the Australian community it was such an exciting time. Um, the colloquialisms I should have written down, mm-hmm. the things I'd never heard anyone say before. Uh, the farming community there would be a big chapter about the the farming the farming life of of Australia. I had three more children born in Australia, so um, there'd be a chapter about motherhood probably, mm-hmm. um, but I think in between all that would be the the, the chapter about the, the rural generalism and the, the privileges that you have that be part of people's lives, um, and, and, and there'd be a chapter about um as you know i i've got a at the moment bits rolled into your hobby farming so there be a chapter about the animals in my life <laughs> as well so there's a huge of facets um and, and I think other people's books also are also so interesting to read if you think of other people's lives mm. as chapters. Um, you know, I think if our lives were soap operas, you know, we tune in to watch it. Yeah. I would watch <laughs> other people's lives, um, like YouTube channels, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think, yeah, I'm in the middle of the chapter now about medical education as well. It's a fairly new part of my job, um, but I'm just absolutely loving that so that would be probably in the index yep
0: yep and what does a day in the life of crystal look like what you run us through a day i, I find your days fascinating so i'm sure other people will too
1: yeah, it's a bit interesting because people were laughing at me a lot when I said I was going to have a cow um, because I'm not a morning person at all, um, but I am now. Um, so I get up in the morning to milk the cow. Um, she's a Jersey by the name of Leia, And um, it's a wonderful moment, actually, before the rest of the world wakes up. I'm, I'm sitting there milking, especially if she likes to stand still for me that day. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a good day. Um, and then we get some milk. Um, the kids wake up, we'll have breakfast, they all off to school. Um, that comes with the usual hectic scenarios of where are my socks and those sorts of things. I haven't been able to really get this streamlined, to be honest. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, I'm either off to work in, um, in the RCS uh, or uh, doing Aboriginal health or doing some emergency department work. So it could be either one of these three um, at all the different days of the week and then i think after about three o'clock i'm a transport officer so you know kids need to go to here and there um some shopping cooking i'm not a good cook at all um but um yeah and then the evening is generally either a bit of preparation for rcs or um yeah one of the other hobbies that i've sort of adopted um kids with homework that's pretty much fills my day but i like that it's a big mix of things
0: yep. yep and what age are your kids at the moment so you've got five children is that right
1: that is correct so my youngest one's nine mm-hmm. um, and my oldest one is 15 and a half so they're fairly close together uh, in age on purpose people ask me that um that was on purpose and um Yeah, so i got three in high school then, two in primary school. And um, actually the oldest one, she's uh, my only daughter. Mm -hmm. So she is in charge of four four younger brothers.
0: (laughs) So one thing that I've uh, been asked since I started in medical education quite a lot because I was reasonably vocal about it, but I think it's something that people really want to know is about combining motherhood and medicine because it's something that plays on people's minds a lot. You know, back in the Netherlands,
1: these raw definitions... Um, are, are very much more fluid between genders and I'm finding the Australian community especially in conservative rural placements are still very gender specific um, and I I often try to pull up my my students as well so we, we talk about you know the mom does this and the mom does that so it's actually a parent's job so I feel this question that you're asking me is very a good question which should also be directed at all the other um, male colleagues that I have which is 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 one of my pet peeves um you know dads uh, fathers know about their children as well they also need to combine absolutely their job with parenting yeah um and my husband gets very angry when people say is your husband babysitting the mm. children because I don't babysit my own children yeah um, I'm a parent I, it's it's true though in our in our family situation that um I work from 8 30 till three, try to be home by 3 30, so one of us is home. And my husband does the slightly longer days. So it actually is on my plate a bit more than his, the way we've divided it up at the very moment. But that's your but choice been, rather than. It has been
0: yeah.
1: has been different in the past as well. Um so th- w- this is usually pretty much a 50-50 arrangement. Having said that, though, um, our medical careers were quite um, paralleled since we met because we're just fresh out of medical school and we did the same training. We trained in the Netherlands for a tropical medical degree, which was obstetrics and surgery. Then we came to Australia together where we both entered the um, GP training together. And every time that I had maternity leave, uh, which was five times, um, he would do something else in that in that period that i was off um and he'd acquired more pediatric skills that way he acquired more um surgical skills that way he'd he'd was able if you if you count up the number of months that i was on leave and he wasn't we could sort of see our our careers go slightly this way which is purely biologically from the fact that he couldn't (laughs) carry a pregnancy and i could so i if yes this is on your mind um as, as you're making choices, I think when you feel it's time to start your family, wherever you are in your training, just just try to cooperate it in that time. I think if you're going to wait till later, wait till later. You, you, we don't know what what's around the corner for later. If it, if it feels that's like right in your life, and you are, um, yeah, either in RCS or you're doing GP training or or other parts of where you are at. Uh, the family is part of, of what happens in your, in your, in your family life. And, and the, the arrangements around your education or your job will have to be managed probably as best you can. And, um, and so the way that I'm combining is um, probably through a bit of lack of sleep sometimes. Um, And well, to me, it actually is another answer to your question back is it's The the role of being a parent and being a a medical professional, actually, to me, go hand in hand really well. I think I've got stories to share with my children to say, well, you know, in some people this happens or that happens. I think it makes me a a better parent that I I work in this field. But also sometimes I feel that I can... uh, do medical things better because I understand the role of a, of a parent as well. Um, so, I to me these roles go hand in hand really well. Yeah, I agree. If you if you can manage it, so I I I'd ideally would like to. Well, I need to be careful. I'd like to uh, to see Australians adopt um a more flexible concept of the division of those roles in in families um also because there's unconventional families you know there's families who don't really quite have the mom dead and a few kids pictures and and that's all 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 fine and well so i I'd, I'd think yeah that's probably
0: i answer. would like to thank you for p- picking me up on that because it is actually also my pet peeve and the only reason i haven't asked uh our earlier interviews um I guess I I totally agree with you that it's 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 um it's kind of archaic to only ask parents and one of my things when I was a junior doctor that used to really drive me around the bend was when people would ask me if I had kids and I said yes and they said where are they and I really wanted to say I left them in the car in the car park like, because they would have never have asked my male colleagues where their kids were, in quite the same way. So, I um I appreciate your pointing that out, and maybe I'll start asking everyone who has kids that question. <laughs>
1: please do please do I listened to the other two gentlemen and I said to my colleague oh you know we have an artist who's already on the podcast and then there is orthography and then we have you know someone who's head of a department and here comes crystal who milks a cow and I thought this topic is going to come up um but I I think that if you are a generalist um, all these roles are part of what makes you a generalist. So it's absolutely fine. I don't mind to talk about being a parent and a doctor. It's, it's absolutely and a fine with me. <laughs> and, and a hobby farmer. Yeah, but I, I do believe that, yeah, men will probably, and some, some will struggle with the same thing. They think, you know, my kids are all grown up and I wasn't there when, you know, they had their certificate for, I don't know, tying their shoelaces or when they won the first prize in the cross country that that's the same that's the same forest field I think fathers feel as much as mothers um so yeah let's it's a good thing we've put it on the map let's put it that way absolutely
0: yes and I I I I would 100% back what you've said and um and I I think that we are part of the generation that's going to change that as well by by taking on all those roles you know unapologetically taking on the roles that we want in our careers so here's to here's to all the the parents doing the do um what has been some of the highs in your um story to date
1: yeah I wondered if you were going to ask me that um and I think I might have talked about one of the highs before you switch the recording on. Um, and so I'll repeat it. And I, I, the highs for me are interacting with people. So the patient will walk in the door and have something of a story to tell, which is partly the complaint or the reason that brings them in. And then there's all these other parts of what makes that person suffer or what makes that person get better um, or the, what's happened in the lead up to the, to the actual presentation. And, I am always so fascinated. Some of my students say, "Oh, you know, their patient didn't really have have much," and I just get upset because I said, "No, you you missed you missed the point," because the highlight is that the person themselves. So to me, I think in the room, you know, we've got a person with knowledge, and 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 that would be me, and then we've got the the specialist, which is the patient, because they know what they feel in their body and every time you feel like you're able to help someone these these are the highest for me so you're saying oh you know we have little stories about big moments but actually the small moments for me are what strings all these highlights together um and and especially in aboriginal health i'm i'm always so impressed with um the honesty that people carry when they share their things with you um feel very privileged it's um it's it's a very special special thing for me
0: mm-hmm. yes well I also agree with you on that point <laughs> that's I think a real highlight to being a doctor and a real privilege um and what's been uh, you've had a very busy adventure and and it sounds like you're going to continue to for for you know for the foreseeable future um, what's been some of the challenges that you've faced? So,
1: um, well, I'll tell you what we did, which turned out to be a really big challenge. After my husband and my myself both finished our GP training, we decided we're going to buy this massive bus, which we'd converted into a motorhome and we were going to take all the five kids, live in the bus, get on the road and travel for a year. And then we thought, oh, that's not long enough. It needs to be two years. And we were gonna do locum work in different different communities, which was, I mean, the clinical work was great. There was different um, places where we went up in Queensland. Um, I was in Yereba, which is an Aboriginal community close to Cairns um it was wonderful but what I didn't anticipate is that trying to educate five kids while you're on the road is um is a real nightmare and if you think what did I try to do in my life what was hard um it, it was actually traveling with the kids and thinking that we could take on this this challenge of and we were doing distant education so we had remote teachers and the whole thing was um very unsuccessful <laughs> <laughs> um, medically if I had any challenges in my career I, I might probably refer back to the um to the the feeling that I carry that I need to prove myself harder than my male counterparts um, and that's that's I'm finding that's a bit hard and it's also in my own perception like I see some of my male colleagues and I think oh you know look at what they achieve clinically and then I sort of benchmark it against my own achievements and I'm sometimes a bit distracted or not completely up to date with the latest medical articles um, because I've been milking my cow um, and um, <laughs> and and so that that is one of the other challenges I'm thinking um, I've, I feel personally that that's the case
0: That sounds a little bit like imposter syndrome to some degree. Absolutely. Would you? Yeah. Yeah. So have you given that some thought about, uh, like, there is some literature to suggest that women are more um, susceptible to imposter syndrome, and I I, I tend to think that's probably true. Yeah. Uh, And as your colleague, I mean, I've not worked with you clinically, but I I, I think you're awesome. So, you know, when you speak to a colleague about your own imposter syndrome, there's nothing anyone else can do to take it away from you, is there? No, it's something
1: that I think, yeah, we have to manage or not. We have to probably actively manage. The um the interesting thread that came out of one of your recordings earlier, where you talked to all the students, is they said they're all afraid that they were going to make mistakes. You know, they're going to be go out and the bush and they're going to make mistakes. And I maybe think part of our medical training should include that. Yes, you will make mistakes, and yes, that is okay. Um, we're not we're not required to get hundred percent in our medical exams you know we still we still pass the exam if we get 80 percent we, we this, your clinical work is going to be fairly much the same you know sometimes you get it right and sometimes you get it wrong and I I feel we probably need to also role model that if things go not quite so successful as we'd hoped and um, that's not the end of the world as long as we learn I think as long as we learn from, from whatever is the lesson that needs to be learned, um, that the, the making of mistakes is integral part of integral. That's
0: a tricky yeah. words. I I did a salsa class when I was a med- medical student and the teacher said on the first lesson, there are no mistakes, there's just new moves. I love it. <laughs> and so he said, you know, it's just a different move, just catch up, just get back yep. on track and um and don't don't think of it as a mistake because that's when you stop dancing
1: yes it's a great one it's just new it's and and that's that's absolutely right. I think that's also what makes people a bit uncomfortable about the coronavirus at the moment. so we're trying new things we're not really quite sure is it going to be successful, is this working out um and and then we sit with that discomfort and and how much is it eating away at us, or are we quite okay with? being uncomfortable um, so I've decided to lean into that um, lack of uh, predictability uh, that that's okay um, but yeah I think living with the notion that we're, we're not perfect is probably helpful also to counteract some of that imposter syndrome that you're mentioning um, definitely mm-hmm. true
0: and do you think, I mean, to a degree, I think the the um, the essence of rural generalism is living with uncertainty. I mean, the level of uncertainty around at the moment with COVID is uh, something that none of us have experienced to this degree. But I do think that being a GP probably does hone your skills of dealing with uncertainty and sitting with it and, and giving it, holding space for uncertainty. So that is something that we possess as a as a skill i think
1: yes definitely Uh, i think the rural generalists um but also some of the specialists that live in and work in remote or regional um places absolutely much better equipped to to deal with those sort of not, not quite predictable situations. And I think one of the examples is that the rural clinical school as a whole has done extremely well to shift their teaching model to still highly interactive, still highly engaging, still highly clinically relevant, even in the, in the absence of, of patient contacts. Um, and, and it's a big point for rural practice. I think we've all shown our adaptability, our creativity, our willingness to to do it um and I I think it's one of the reasons why rural trained students and doctors will come out on top in many many cases especially in situations where you need to think outside the box um and yeah. that's what's so lovely about rural generalism you you actually get to to think, hang on, I don't have everything now, but maybe I can do something else. Um, it's a wonderful, wonderful part of, of being in the, in the country. And I, to me, I think that we've shown as a, as a clinical school that we have got what it takes.
0: I was listening to your story about educating your kids in the bus and I'm wondering after coronavirus if less people will decide that that's a good idea after having a little taste of it of, of all the kids being home from school. I think that uh, we've probably got a greater respect for teachers as a society than ever before. <laughs> that's for sure.
1: That's for sure.
0: Um, now, if you were uh, able to, to jump in a time machine and go back and talk to yourself in the past and give yourself some, some strong advice... Would there be a time that you'd go back to and, and tell young Crystal something? Um,
1: yeah, I think you asked a similar question to to um, your previous um, um, interviewee and he said, oh, I should tell myself to relax more. You don't always need to get high grades and, you know, it's not all that relevant. And I, I was thinking exact opposite answer because I, I i think i worry too little about my grades in medical school <laughs> and i think i've missed some information that would have been very clinically relevant to me now so i would actually like to to be able to go back to medical school and do it all again now that I know what the type of information is that we need to be really good physicians or clinicians. Um, So it was funny because I thought, oh, I was going to, I would have answered that question completely the opposite way. Like I probably would have stepped up a little bit more. Um, Yeah. But also in a way I'm thinking when you're talking about the imposter syndrome and those sorts of things, it'd be actually lovely to know in your younger years that things are going to work out. Okay. Um, And, and, and that's nice to know.
0: Mm, absolutely I guess it's that it's still the same kind of thing of not knowing what's coming and sometimes just knowing that it's going to be okay would let you get on with it a bit easier
1: I'd like the idea that um in maybe my my life story with the career path and how it took me to um, corners of the world and how it was all unpredicted and how I ended up where I am now um I'd like to sort of reassure people that your career path can have all sorts of funny turns and really unexpected um, events and and you might end up in a completely opposite direction where you thought you're going to go and um, I would definitely encourage to explore these um, these byways and and unexpected events so to me I think that I would broadcast you have a really open mind recognize an opportunity when it presents itself and say well i'm not sure where exactly it's gonna lead me but it might open up some doors to areas where i'd love to go and so i'll i'll explore that bit i i think if you have a really linear career path in mind um you might end up disappointed instead of surprised and um that would be my my um sort of little snippet of insight for for people in the in the middle of making these career choices now and i think coming to rcs and doing something in a rural or remote training setting is definitely one of those opportunities that you won't regret it
0: and what was the what was the decision making about moving to australia how did that look for you what was the draw card and yeah
1: to when I was a little girl at home, um, on Saturday on the television in the Netherlands, they would air Flying Doctors, and I would watch it with my sisters every week, um, all the seasons. I For somehow, I felt like I wanted to see Australia, and I don't know whether it was based on the television series or not, but um, in my fourth-year medical um, student pathway, I studied for six months in Adelaide, absolutely loved it. Um, and so when I traveled through Africa with my husband later, we were thinking to settle in Africa for three or five years and then maybe come to Australia later. And um, while we were looking for a job in Africa, there was quite a lot of violence and, and I've, i sort of backpedaled a bit on that choice because I thought, well, um, you know, we have young children. I, I don't, I don't feel safe enough to, to settle there. Um, and so I said, would, would you mind if we moved to Australia a bit earlier than we planned? Um, and so we went to a job expo. So the, the immigration department would go to European main capitals and set up an expo. And we decided we're just going to get the first reasonable job over. Um, and there was people from the mining industry and, and health and uh, techno like IT and daycares. And um, we, we ran into a person said, Colloran which is a tiny town in the triangle of Walgat-Murray, Lightning Ridge, where they mine for opal. And there's 500 people there. Um, And we absolutely loved it. My husband had never been to um, Australia, but he sort of took my word for it, which was quite (laughs) interesting. Um, And one of the reasons that we were so drawn is just um, the space and the, the climate and the weather and the the laid-backness of Australian people in general, because Dutch people are quite uptight to work with. They're great people to meet. I'm not saying I, I don't like Dutch people, but <laughs> if you're in a workplace, they're really strict with their time. Um, not not very nice at all. And it's just a huge crowded place. And, um, and it's always raining and cold and windy and miserable um so yeah we we find um the match between our family and an australian people very very positive one
0: wonderful and do you go back to holland very often
1: well, I had planned to go. Mm-hmm. I had planned to go, but I couldn't because of the this the this, the seizing of the airplanes. Um, I do because my sisters are there and their children are there and I don't really want to be this sort of anonymous auntie that lives somewhere overseas. So I I do try to go, which is something that's a bit hard for me because I'm looking into how I can reduce my carbon emissions as a person, as a GP. I'm also trying to set up in our Albany hospital, a green team. So how can the whole of the hospital reduce their carbon emissions? Because there's some initiative, but it's not really in a plan. So I'm I'm trying to work on all these things. And I think hopping on a plane to Europe is going to be harder and harder to justify. Um, so I'm I'm struggling a bit with that. Um, that would probably be another chapter that I just recently started. Is um, how can we all do our bids really actively reduce our own carbon emissions? I think we
0: all. It's very tricky in hospitals, isn't it? Because we're we are we we've got a lot of waste going on in hospitals, and it's quite hard to um uh, to put those pieces together. It, it, it creates a lot of dissonance to work in an industry that's so wasteful when you, when you want to make a change.
1: Yeah. And then there is all these um, restrictions of what you can implement locally because we're part of a bigger healthcare structure. Um, and I think probably the only way to do something is just get started. I, I think, you know, we're just going to set it up and then we learn from other places where they're a few steps further ahead than what we are in Albany. And, and we're going to hit our heads against some walls and just keep going with it. I think i I think if children ask you a question and you can't really answer it, then something's wrong. And my kids have questioned me about um, the environment and the CO2 emissions. And um, I knew back in the eighties and the nineties, and even when I was in primary school that we talked about these things. And I feel just so embarrassed that it hasn't been addressed. I really feel ashamed. I think they're going to look at my generation and say, you, you used it all up, you know, and you shouldn't have. And, um, and I think better late than never, I, I am worried. And I think the predictions and the science are all telling us that we should be worried. And um, and so, yeah, I'm in the process of getting myself a push bike. Um, you know, whatever I think that people can think of to do individually, I don't think we should all be judging each other. Like, are you doing enough? Are you doing enough? But if you can find a opportunity, whether it's really small, that it's reducing your carbon emissions, um, then I think go try to go for it um, and then be happy that you did and um, yeah, that's probably a new chapter
0: wonderful i I don't think you understand the um the effect you have on people you are a you're you're this ball of positive energy, and you're so captivating as soon as I knew I was doing this podcast, I wanted to interview you because I only have little snippets of your story, but I just find you the most captivating breath of fresh air and I I think you undersell yourself you know you underrate yourself so I'm so glad that you agreed to do this, and thank you so much.
1: Thank you for asking me. That is, I'm I'm going to cherish that. I'm going to cherish that you said that. Thank you back. Um, um, likewise, I was, I feel so happy that you make this that you make these recordings and that you you know explore all the different stories and and share it with with our future colleagues who are thinking about rural medicine. Um, and, and knowing that everyone's got a story to share. I, I, I appreciate that concept so much and I just enjoy being part of it.
0: Excellent. Thank you so much. Thanks very much to Crystal for joining us for Episode 7 of Docography. This podcast is proudly sponsored by the Rural Clinical School of WA Rural Training Hubs. We can help you out with information about rural training opportunities in wa just get a hold of us on hubs h-u-b-s for sam at rcswa.edu.au and if you've got some ideas for the podcast or feedback drop us a line at docography d-o-c-o-g-r-a-p-h-y at rcsforsamwa.edu.au next week we have a really special treat for you We have the man who started it all with the Rural Clinical School of WA, Campbell Murdoch. Look forward to bringing it to you next week. Watch this space.